figure, I think it's about 15 years since you were invited when I was here to preach. Uh, and so he, he doesn't know, and you don't, a lot of you don't know him. Well, a lot of you don't know me <laughs> But um, Jeremy is, is our second son. Uh, and by the way, he's having a birthday this week. I mean, no, this month, this month. His big five old. <laughs> Actually, Jeremy went into the ministry when he was 12 years old, preached his first sermon in the church while I was pastor, 12 years old, and has been faithful. He's served churches for 30 years now, and he decided he was old enough to retire. Actually, he is uh, taking a couple of years and his wife Kristen and our granddaughter Miranda uh, and she just had her birthday 18 this week and uh, they, they're taking a couple of years RVing around the country and they've been a year now and getting ready to go again they're down in Florida close by and then they're going to be coming back up our way but they're going to be traveling he's been invited to conference out where he met someone on their trip last year. So God, and he said, you know, see what God does. So I'm asking you to pray for him. Jeremy uh, actually got his degree in music from Palm Beach Atlantic. Got his uh, master's degree in church music from New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. And got his PhD in Christian counseling from uh, Cornerstone and uh, for the first 15 years of his uh, serving churches, he was uh, the worship pastor, like Brother Jeff. And then uh, the last 15, he's been the pastor. Seven and a half years up here at Westside Baptist Church in Titusville. And it's changed the name. Gateway Community. Gateway, mm -hmm. Gateway Community now. And, uh, and then the last seven and a half years, he was uh, at the Wright Baptist Church in Fort Lawson Beach. And he says that was the right church. I agree with him. <laughs> but it's a joy to, for us to get to hear him again. We don't get to hear him very often. When, when you're a pastor and he's a pastor, you don't get to hear each other very much. So uh, we're thankful to have him here, and, and I'm sure he'll express his gratitude. But I thank you for letting him come. I think the, the Sunday's in May, is that right? Most of them. Most of them. Okay. <laughs> Preach like you live, hard and fast. Amen, brother. <laughs> Thank you, Dad. Uh, Dad said that some of you didn't even know him. If you've met him, I, I hate to uh, break it to you, but it, it only goes downhill from there. <laughs> you've met the best. I'm just the, uh, I'm the, I'm the pitch hitter. Good morning. Some of you I know, some of you I recognize, some of you I do not know. Uh, it is indeed a privilege to be here and to uh, have the opportunity to bring God's Word. And this morning is going to be a little bit different even for me. And I'm going to share with you some, some things that God has done in the past, and we're going to look at some Scripture together. Um, but I, I just want to say to Brother Jeff especially, thank you for the invite and allowing me to have this opportunity. Um, Jeff has been my friend, our family's friend, for years since he and dad served together here 
Um, Jeff and I were actually in the same music conference, Metro Music Conference, and even one year we were roommates. And um, so got a chance to really get to know one another, and um, I, I love Jeff. Jeff is a, a wonderful man of God, and uh, as he said in the beginning of the service, it's, it's neat when you're in Christ how you can sometimes go years and, and not have a face-to-face, and then you can immediately just reconnect and love one another and move right along. That's the love that God gives us. Isn't that neat? And it's a love that the world is looking for and so many are desperately seeking. And it's our opportunity and our job to make sure they know the author of love, and that is Jesus Christ. It's a privilege to be here for another reason. That is, as Dad said, we don't get to be together much, um, worshiping together. And in our home, we like to sing hymns. And, um, and I'm a budding ukulele player. So a couple of years ago, uh, I bought for my wife, for her birthday, myself, a ukulele. <laughs> and um, I don't know, they're small, they're easy to pour, you know, they're easy to carry around. Um, I never, I played at the guitar, but my hands were small and there's just too many strings on it. And so I thought, you know, I'm, I'm going to try the ukulele. And so I ended up really, really enjoying it. And uh, now my daughter's into it, and so we'll, we'll take our ukuleles out, and we'll sing some praise choruses and, and hymns. And um, So, Brother Jeff, I know you'll appreciate this. Fanny Crosby is one of my absolute favorite hymn writers of all time. Phenomenal story. If you've never read the story or seen the biography, uh, uh, seen the story of Fanny J. Crosby, it's, it's really an amazing story. But anyway, I, I won't get sidetracked on that. But we were in our home, and we had watched a documentary on Fanny Crosby, and so we were singing some of her beloved hymns and very well-known hymns, and, and I got very emotional because I was thinking, I can remember growing up and um, sitting beside mom or standing beside mom and hearing mom sing the alto line. And we told Miranda, we're like, Miranda, Grammy knows every hymn that's in the Baptist hymnal and, ne- and hasn't held a hymnal probably four decades. She just She knows them. And part of my heritage is growing up in church listening to mom sing alto, and I think that's where I got some of my musical ability to be able to sing harmony, because I've always just heard that harmony in my ear. So this morning, it was really special to be able to sit beside, dang it, I said I wasn't going to do this, (laughs) to sit beside mom and hear that alto in my ear. I'm blessed to have my parents when dad said, he was 75 a while ago. I thought, no, nah, that can't be. And then when he said, I'm turning 50 this month, I said, you, that really can't be. <laughs> but we do, we get older, and we're all working towards going home. And there's hope in that. And as I was praying about what God wanted me to share with you guys this morning, he laid something on my heart. And I knew this is what I was supposed to share. And then, Daniel, when you sang your song, I was like, God, it is amazing how you work. Because what I want to ask you is a very simple question, and I think I already know the answer, but I think it's, you know, confession is good for the soul, so we just need to get real with one another. So I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to be honest. Would you agree that there are times life doesn't make sense, yes or no? Okay, now that was kind of weak. 
So I'm going to give you another opportunity, but I'm going to ask you a different question. And it's going to be a little bit harder to answer, but I want you to answer it with a little more enthusiasm. Would you agree that sometimes God doesn't make sense? We're not doubting God's character. We're not doubting his love. We're not doubting his word. We're not doubting his protection. We're not doubting his provision. We're not doubting God. But there are times when things happen, and you and I have the two-word question, why God? Why? And I think a lot of times those of us in the church are afraid to verbalize that because we see it, or excuse me, we're afraid that others will see that as a weakness in our own faith. Parents, let me ask you a question. Did you ever do anything in your kid's life when you were raising your children or if you're still raising children? Did you ever make a decision or say something or take an action and your children say to you, why? There's two words. The first two words in the English language all children learn. The very first word is what, parents? No. So if you ever doubt that we're born with a sin nature, just remember that. Did you ever have to teach your children not to share? Right? Like, we never do that. We have to teach our children what? To share. To be kind. We have that fleshly nature as soon as we discover America. First word, no. Second word, why? I can remember my 18-year-old uh, beautiful young lady, but I can remember her as a little bit. And by the way, uh, she used to be in tow with us when we would come here. When Dad was pastoring here and I was pastoring uh, Ash, I was at that time even worship pastor up in uh, Jacksonville area, Ponte Vedra. And Kristen and Miranda and I would come down, and uh, we didn't have evening service at our church. So we would come down here many times and go to church, and Dad would have me preach, and we'd spend the night with Mom and Dad. Some of our favorite memories. But we'd have little Miranda in tow, and, man, she hit that stage, and parents, I bet you can relate, she'd hit that stage where it didn't matter what we were talking about. Why? Why? And I loved that stage because it, she was thirsting for knowledge. So let me ask you a question. Do you think our Heavenly Father knows us well enough that when we ask Him why, He knows the condition of our heart and He's faithful and just and He will give us answers? He does. As a matter of fact, He's already given us answers. And we're going to look at just one place in Scripture. Just one. Here's the challenge of today's message. We, we could literally go to many passages in the Bible when things don't make sense, when life doesn't make sense, when God doesn't make sense. We can go all through his word from Old Testament to New Testament, and we can discover truths of his word that minister to our soul and help us answer and help us make sense of why things happen. So it was a challenge for me to pick just one verse, but I did. And so if you would go to the book of Colossians, and while you're flipping to the book of Colossians, I'm going to tell you a quick story, and I'm going to be very quick. Some of you remember this. Some of you walked through the journey I'm about to share with you. You walked through the journey with Kristen and me and Miranda and certainly mom and dad. Miranda was born in 2003. She was the joy, pride and joy of our life. And as a matter of fact, she was born on April 27th on a Sunday morning. I always think that's funny, and God has a sense of humor. Seven days in the week, and the day my daughter is born is the one day a week that I used to work. <laughs> Amen? Because we all know pastors, we only work one day a week, right? So the one day a week that I was on payroll and my daughter chooses to be born, I have to skip out on work. I'm being silly with that, but seriously, on a Saturday night, Kristen went into labor. We called mom and dad. Three or four in the morning, I said, Dad, 
Mom, y'all better get up here. I think this is it. And so, Dad, I don't even remember who you got to preach that day, but, but I think you had somebody in the wings waiting to preach, and, and Mom and Dad met us up, and Miranda was born on a Sunday morning, 10.02 a.m. on April 27th. The pride and joy of our life. God's blessed us with the easiest child in human history to raise. She's been amazing. Never has given us a moment's trouble. Never. Was active in our children's ministry. We had Awana up at Westside, and they, this child would, would run and play all the games. She's kind of small, always has been. We're not huge people anyway, and, and uh, so she's kind of small-framed, and we never really thought anything about it. But when she was eight years old, she wasn't feeling well. We thought maybe she had allergies. Uh, she had some, what we thought maybe was some pus pockets in her throat, maybe strep. We weren't sure. And by the way, we weren't these kind of parents that as soon as our kid got the sniffle, we ran to the doctor. But we were concerned because this has been going on for a few days. And so Kristen said, you know, I think I'm going to take her to the pediatrician. I'm a little concerned. I said, absolutely. Kristen went by herself because we just thought it was something really not that big a deal. Kristen took her to the pediatrician and I get a phone call, and she's like, you need to come, uh, something's going on. And the very long story short is, Miranda didn't have strep throat, but our pediatrician heard something in Miranda's heart, and she didn't, she wasn't really sure what was going on. She had some concerns. She wanted to refer us to a pediatric cardiologist in Orlando, who happened to have an office over here in Melbourne one day a week. And so we made an appointment. We came down here to Melbourne, and in one appointment, we learned that Miranda had what's called atrial septum disorder, ASD. Basically, the wall in her heart, the atrial wall in her heart was non-existent. It was stunning her growth. We say, you know, what do we do? What are our choices? What happens if we do nothing? I mean, what, tell us about this. Educate us. And they did, and it was quite grim. Forty days later, we were at All, uh, all Children's Hospital in St. Petersburg. Miranda had open heart surgery. Our little eight-year-old, who was the pride and joy of our life, never did anything hardly ever wrong. I mean, she was, do, let me ask you a question. Do you think I had and Kristen had a why God moment, yes or no? That was a real question. You can give me a real answer. Do you think we had a why God moment? Absolutely. About the same time, some things were happening in ministry. There were some frustrations that I was meeting as a young pastor and some attitudes, and I know you're going to find this hard to believe, so you may just want to tune me out on this, but every now and then someone can be difficult in the church. I know it's weird, but every now and then that does happen. And the truth of the matter is, and I'm, I'm saving a lot of detail, God was blessing our church, we were growing, we added a service. We added a Sunday school hour. Things were happening. People were getting saved. We weren't just growing our church from other people coming from other churches. We were growing our church because we were hitting the streets. People were getting saved. The baptistry was wet most Sundays. Things were amazing in one respect, and yet so very difficult in another because when God is up to something, man, the enemy turns on the heat. I was having some frustrations. I was young into the pastorate. I was calling dad and, and, and venting to him. And I was, I was learning. And there was just so much going on. And then all of this with Miranda. And it was just so many times life did not make sense. A couple of years before this, when God had moved us to Titusville for me to pastor, 
I was up in Ponte Vedra working at a church. I was serving as a worship pastor. And God called me into the pastorate. What was unique about this particular call was, and I don't mean this to be funny, but I remember calling Dad and saying, in tears, Dad, I think God is calling me to the senior pastor. And we talked about that and we prayed about that, but I had huge reservations. Why? Because I grew up in a pastor's home. I knew what it entailed. I knew the responsibility. And quite honest, church, and I'm just being very honest, I wasn't sure I wanted to do that. I was comfortable. I was comfortable in what I was doing. This is not a spirit of arrogance. It's just truth. I was good at what I did. I understood music. I could sing. I could teach music. I could play instruments. I was comfortable. Have you ever been so comfortable in life that God came along and bumped you out of your comfort zone? Well, that's what happened to me. And so we said yes. This was in 2005 when I was struggling with the call. In 2006, he led me here. We put our house on the market, and we got a contract in, and everything seemed to be great. There was one little caveat, and that is the people who wanted to buy our house wanted to rent it because they had a home in Virginia Beach they needed to sell. So they asked if they could go into a a long-term lease with us, and then they would buy the house. They fronted themselves as... uh, Retired Navy veterans, they fronted themselves as believers. We, we actually formed a, a, a nice relationship, a nice working relationship. They, we moved out of our house, they moved into our house, they paid us rent. About six months into it, stopped, stopped making rent payments on time. Uh, I, I, I did a pop-in inspection one day, and they had caused like $4,000 worth of damage to our property. And then, long story short, they moved out in the middle of the night. I'm trying to get used to life in a new community as a new pastor. We're renting, wanting to buy, but we got this house up here. And I don't know if y'all remember 2007, 2008, how stellar the housing market was. But in 2008, when the bottom fell out and they moved out, now we were incredibly upside down in our house. Again, a very long story short, I had a choice. File bankruptcy or keep throwing money to a house that I was 150, 180, 200 miles away. You think I had a couple of God why moments, yes or no? God, I moved from a comfortable position in a place of ministry where we were loved and we loved them to take on a position and to answer a call that I was a little unsure about, but at the same time know that you led me in, and now it's going to ruin me financially. God, we've always invested in your kingdom. We've always helped people. We've always lived within our means. We've always tried to be good stewards of the resources you've given us. God, why? Fast forward two years later, in a room on the third floor at All Children's Hospital. On a Monday afternoon, after Miranda had been in surgery for five hours that morning, they wheeled her in, and the nurses were showing us all that the surgeons had done. And our heads were just spinning, and I was still trying to grasp what was going on. Up until this point, I'd been pretty strong. Kristen and I both, we 
had a great support system with mom and dad. We had a great support system with sister churches who were praying and loving us, praying for us and loving us from a distance. We had a great network of believers holding us up. Glenn and Deidre came and were with us. Our dearest friends who we're here with today were there with us that same day. And, and I mean, we just had a great support network. But that Monday afternoon, for the first time since Miranda had been diagnosed, I remember going over and sitting on the little couch in Miranda's room. Dad was standing there, mom was seated here, Kristen was seated here. And church family, I absolutely lost it. I cried and heaved and wailed, probably like I've never before. I'm watching Miranda in her bed, I'm hearing all the sounds, I'm seeing all the sights, I'm smelling all the smells, and it just absolutely overwhelmed me. And in that moment, as only the Lord could do through his Holy Spirit, touched my heart and said, child of mine, I want to ask you a question. How important, how big a deal is all the things you're facing in ministry and the bankruptcy now? How big a deal is all that now? And in that Afternoon, God gave me four words that I ended up spending the rest of my time in local church ministry building upon faith, family relationships, and legacy. God said, here, Jeremy, is what is most important, your faith, your family, your relationships, and the legacy you leave. When life doesn't make sense, even when I don't make sense as your heavenly father, remember your faith, your family, your relationships, and your legacy. And God, as only God could do, had a way of putting all the situations and circumstances in my life into proper perspective. And it absolutely changed me and us as a family. The simple truth is, we all have a story. As Daniel was singing earlier, I heard briefly this morning about your family's story. We all have a story. And here's what's common. Although we're all unique and all of our stories are different, here's what we have in common. We have the same enemy who works on us, and we're going to talk about this in just a moment, who works on us day and night to doubt God's character. And Jesus called it out, and we're going to get to it in just a moment. We all have a common enemy. And we all have those life moments when things happen that simply don't make sense. So the question this morning is, what do we do? What do we do in the midst of our story when something happens and this just doesn't make sense? And we have those God, why moments. Again, there's many places we could go to in Scripture, but I've chosen Colossians chapter 2. Read with me on Colossians chapter 2. And I believe Paul, to the church here, gives us some really neat bullet points to remember when life doesn't make sense. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 2, he says this, My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. I love this because just like the ancient church and just like your church, 
And just like the universal church, we the people that, that, that are covered by the blood of Christ, the church, we all have in common a real enemy. We all have in common stories of struggle. And we all have in common those moments, even in our growing faith, where we wonder, God, why? And in the midst of all that, God, through his Holy Spirit, tells us, my goal from a pastor's heart, the Apostle Paul, my goal is that God's people would be encouraged. Everybody say encouraged. Doesn't it just feel good to even say the word? Encouraged. I said to you, we all have a common enemy. Here's the verse I want to call out. John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus himself said this. The thief comes only. Everybody say only. The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Now, whether you are employed or retired, all of us, from the moment we get up to the moment we retire at night, all of us have jobs and responsibilities. Amen? Wouldn't it be great if you got up tomorrow morning and if you're employed, your boss said, hey, listen, I know you've been wearing a lot of hats, but starting today, you only have one responsibility, just one. Everything else that you've been doing, you can just delegate to others. You only have one, one responsibility. Imagine, even if you're not employed, imagine if somebody came to you and said, hey, listen, you have all the time in the world. We're going we're gonna to grocery shop for you. We're going to pay your bills for you. We're going to take care of everything for you. You have time every day to, to finesse one skill. How good do you think you would be at that one skill, say, in a year? On a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being horrible, 10 being amazing, where do you think you guys would land? 10, 11, 12. Why? Because we only had one thing to do. One. Now, I want you to go back and read this verse again in John chapter 10, verse 10. What did Jesus just say? The thief comes what? Only. He's got one job, and he's had several thousand years to perfect it. Are y'all following where I'm going with this? The enemy is good at what he does. He's good at making you and me doubt God's love. He's good at making you and me doubt God's character, God's provision, God's protection, God's sovereignty. He's good at it. And he uses circumstances, and he uses people, and he uses anything that he can to convince you that the God we love and serve is really not God at all. If you go back and look through, uh, through Scripture, starting in Genesis with Adam and Eve, you will find the temptation was not to eat fruit. And by the way, isn't it funny how we always say, don't eat the apple? Like, the word apple is never mentioned in Genesis. I've always just been a little weird and thought, well, maybe, maybe the serpent offered Eve a, a, a kiwi, right? Why do we always think it's an apple? Anyway, I digress. The temptation was not, listen church, the temptation was not to eat the fruit. That was just the means. What was the temptation? To doubt God's word. Did God really say... This is how the enemy works. Hey, if God really loved you, he wouldn't take your loved one. If God really loved you, 
You wouldn't have a financial crisis right now. If God really loved you, your marriage wouldn't be hurting right now. If God really loved you, you wouldn't be facing persecution at your job for standing up what is right, and now you're under your boss's radar, you're on your boss's radar, and may lose your job. If God really cared for you, you wouldn't be going through this right now. Jesus said the thief. Could have called him a lot of things, but he said the thief comes only do what, church? To steal from you, to kill you, and to destroy you. Now, that would be like one of the most grim verses in the Bible if, if there wasn't a part B. But what did Jesus say? But I have come. That you might have life, depending on the translation you're reading, have it to the fullest, have it more abundantly. What was Jesus doing in John chapter 10, verse 10? He was being truthful, he was giving us a warning, but he was also encouraging us. Again, this isn't the only place. He said in the same gospel, John 16, listen, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. What an encouragement. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, do not grow weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest. So don't give up. You don't have to answer this out loud. But have you ever had those moments? When you were being really honest with yourself. You were trying to minister to someone or you were serving in some capacity. You were doing something for kingdom business. And you weren't seeing the results that you thought you should be seeing. And you had the thought, why am I even doing this? Why am, I, why am I spending this kind of energy? I guarantee I know the answer. And again, I don't want you to answer out loud. I know the answer, though, because I've been there. We're all in this together, amen? We've all had those moments where we're like, why am I even doing this? I am so discouraged right now. And in the moment when you have that discouragement, it is such a blessing for someone to come alongside you and do what? Encourage you. why the church is so important and not just the building not just the church service but the church God's people that's why it's so important to love one another and to encourage one another because the truth is life is difficult and we get discouraged and just like our Savior encouraged us we ought to encourage one another and in Galatians he says listen don't grow weary so friend let me tell you don't grow weary in doing good God sees all God is going to deal with all. And listen, at the proper time, we will reap a harvest. Do you believe that? Say amen. I promise you, not because of me saying it, but because God's word says it, and I stand on the authority of God's word, we will reap a harvest. And I love this, so don't give up. Your faith is not in vain. But the second thing in Colossians chapter 2 Verse 2, my goal is that they may be encouraged because it's so important to encourage one another. But to be united in love. Everybody say the word united. Two overwhelming themes in the, in the New Testament. Love and unity. Two overwhelming themes. If you go back and look at Jesus' parables, you go back and look at Jesus' teachings, you go back and read Paul's letters and other certainly other books, you will see this theme 
of loving one another and being united. The truth is, this morning, all of us, if we try to lay us being united, if we try to find common ground on anything other than God's word, eventually we'll get to a place where we don't have unity. So, ask a very simple question. Raise of hands, how many of you enjoy, not professional, but college football? Okay, 12 of us, that's awesome. I need to preach another sermon. How many of you enjoy college football? Be proud, come on. All right, keep your hands up if you're an Alabama fan. Now you really need Jesus. Roll Tide. See, we had unity in liking college football, right? And everything was great. We had a happy, harmonious church. And then all of a sudden we found out what? We don't root for the same team. Hang on. Now we can't be unified in that. What would happen if we built our entire ministry on the fact that you and I must be in unity when it comes to sports? We couldn't. Oh, but let's not stop at sports. Let's, let's pick up anything. How about the way we dress? How many of us would say we're unified in our style and fashion? No. What about our music? What about our music choice? What about our volume of music? This is not a joke. This is not a lie. I was literally, when I was interviewing for a church position, and I won't even tell you which position, but somebody on the committee said, so Jeremy, how loud do you like your music? This is for real. And I said, I thought it was a joke, and I laughed, and I said, is that for real? Like, <laughs> like is that a qualifying question? Like, we love you, we think God's calling you here, but how loud do you like your music? If it's over eight decimals, anyway. And so my answer, when I wasn't trying to be smart, my answer was for real. I said, well, it depends on what I'm doing. If I'm sitting in the living room with candles lit, and I'm listening to some nice soft jazz, I like it to be just nice and soft. But if I have my headphones on and I'm out running, I want it screaming in my ear because everything else in me is wanting me to stop. It's amazing where we get hung up, isn't it? Well, I don't like the fashion. I don't like, the, I don't like that. I don't like this. And here's what Jesus said. Here's what God tells us. We need to be united in love. And I promise you, when we as God's people love one another and, are, and find our unity in the love of God, and therefore we are free to love one another, we'll never go wrong. Because that love that we're to be united in it covers all that other stuff where the enemy would love for us to find disunity. Paul says, it is my goal that God's people would be encouraged in heart. So it's, it's important to encourage one another. Then he says that they would be united in love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, by the way, we've all, when I say 1 Corinthians 13, most of us in this room immediately go, oh, love chapter, right? Heard it at a wedding. Beautiful to be read at a wedding. It was read at our wedding. But the love talked about in 1 Corinthians 13 was not the kind of love between a man and a woman as husband and wife. But it can certainly apply to that. But the actual word is agape. It's God love. It's the love we are all to have for one another. And that's where we read that love is patient and love is kind and it doesn't keep record of wrong. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love ho it hopes all things. It endures all things. Love never fails. But here's what's interesting. Have you ever wondered why it's chapter 13, not chapter 1? I'm glad you asked. I'm going to give you the answer. If you go and you read 1 Corinthians, you're going to find a couple of things out. 
Paul had a very special love for this church in Corinth. This port city, much like a New Orleans, very uh, pagan-influenced. It was a, a big city, large city, a lot of commerce, a lot of paganism. And the Holy Spirit fell on believers there, and people were getting saved. And here's this church in Corinth, and they were babes. They were babes in Christ. I mean, they were still doing some things in the Christian church they'd been doing in the, in the pagan meetings, and Paul had to correct them on that. So if, as you read through 1 Corinthians, here's what you're going to find out. They were sincere people who loved Jesus, were trying to grow and learn, and they had a lot of gifts and talents. As a matter of fact, Paul talked about these gifts and talents previous to chapter 13. And then he picks up after chapter 13, verse 14, and talks more about their gifts and how they are to be used for kingdom purposes. Here's the thing, church. The church in Corinth did not have a talent problem. They had a love problem. And Paul basically says, look, you can have all the gifts, all the talent in the world, but if you don't love one another, what did he say? You're useless. He had already complimented them for their giftedness. And then he kind of puts it on himself. If I could speak with the eloquence of angels, if I could understand all mysteries. In other words, you guys are gifted and you're talented and you've got a lot going for you. And if I could have all those skills, but I didn't have love, this is my summing it up, I'd just be useless. It is so important that in the church we find our unity in our love for God and our love for one another. And it's all based on his holy word. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, it says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sin. Parents, your children ever messed up? Yes or no? Yes or no? You still love them? Was there ever a moment you didn't love them? And it doesn't matter what your kid did or didn't do. Your love never quit. You dealt with your child, and hopefully you dealt with it in a way that would honor God. Just as a while ago we saw the two couples, and they dedicated themselves to do the, to train up their children to know Jesus. Because there's those moments where your children just mess up and do things that you just scratch your head, and you go, now I get it. Now I know why insects eat their young. I get it. But do you ever really want to do away with them? No. As a parent, you want to love them even that much more. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sin. Wouldn't it be great if we loved each other with that same intense love? You know what we do? We get offended. Because you didn't root for my football team. And you listen to your music louder than I do. And now we just can't be friends. You sit on your side of the church, I'll sit on mine. And by the way, I'm not picking on y'all, Okay. And then we go out into the world, and what do you think the world sees? These Christians can't get along in their own church. What are they telling me about their Jesus for? You think Jesus was onto something when he said this? The world will know you belong to me by the way you love one another. I'll tell you a quick story. Kristen and I lived, and we lived in Titusville. We lived in a condo we rented from a friend of ours who was a friend of a friend of a friend in our church. We lived on the fifth floor, and you walked into the common lobby area, and then you took an elevator up to your condo. We'd been in there for about a year, and we'd ridden the elevator, and I'm just going to give you his first name. His first name is Gene. We'd ridden the elevator with a guy named Gene. We knew of Gene and his wife and their family. They lived on the same floor all the way at the very end. And we had one of these 
kind of relationship. Hey, how you doing? Good, good, good. That was about it. We get on the elevator together. We'd hit floor five. How you doing today? Good. Man, it sure is hot. Yeah. I mean, that's about the extent of our conversation. We'd been there about a year. It was a Sunday afternoon. We came home from church. We got in the elevator. As we got into the elevator, Gene got in behind us. Clearly hadn't been to church that morning. He was in his jeans and cut-off shirt. I think he'd been out in the swimming pool. He got in the elevator, and we said hi. And then the th- Kristen and Miranda and me, we just engaged with one another. We were just talking. And Gene said, hey, excuse me, I don't mean to be rude. I know we're neighbors and all. We don't really know each other. But let me ask you a question. He goes, aren't you a pastor or something? And I went, yeah, something. <laughs> I said, yeah, I am a pastor of Westside, just right down the road. He goes, yeah, I'm going to send my wife and kid to your church. He goes, I grew up in the church. I don't have much use for it, but I'm going to send my wife and kid to your church because I've been watching. Don't miss this. I've been watching you for the last year. And I figure any man that treats his family like this when no one's watching or doesn't think anyone's watching is the real deal, and I can trust him as a preacher. I'm going to send my wife and daughter to, him, to you. I said, man, that's great. I'm humble. Thank you. By the way, you can come too. And he did. Not all the time. But you know what they did? They started a friendship with us. They started inviting us over to their house, and he could fry fish that make you want to just slap someone. We go down there and eat fried fish, and, and man, he, I'm telling you, and we formed a really good friendship to this day. I've not laid eyes on him in eight years. Literally, our last week in Titusville before we moved to the Panhandle, uh, I was on my bike, I was riding my bike, and he's a lawn care guy, and I happened to ride by a yard, he was cutting grass. And so I was like, oh man, I'm getting ready to leave this week, and I'm not going to see him anymore. So I, anyway, I said goodbye to him. So last time I laid eyes on him, church family to this day, most everything I post on Facebook, he comments. He private messages me. When he has a struggle, he calls me or PMs me. Hey, man, I know you'll pray. We've had several conversations about the gospel. As a matter of fact, before we take off, Kristen and Miranda and me to take off and go back out west, we're supposed to connect with him over dinner. And we're going to. Here's my point of the story. People watch you. I used to say to my kids when I was a youth minister, hey guys, someone's always watching and someone's always learning. And then I had a reality one day, a reality hit me, that didn't just apply to the teenagers. I could actually tell that to adults. So when I got into the pastorate, I used to say to my church families, hey guys, someone is always watching you and someone is always learning from you. Every word, every action, sometimes they're learning what to do, Sometimes they're learning what not to do. So when you and I love one another and we are united in love, believe me, others notice. I'm going to wrap this up and we're going to get out of here. Here's the third thing. Paul says, it is my goal that you would be encouraged in heart and united in love. Here it is, so that they may have the full riches. I love these two words, complete understanding. Say those with me. Complete understanding. I started off the message today by asking you a question. Are there times in your life you would say, this doesn't make sense? We all said yes. Are there times in your life when God doesn't make sense? And in the honesty of the moment, we all said yes. Now look what Paul just said. It is my goal that you would be encouraged, that you would be united in love, and here it is, that you would have complete understanding in order that you may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. Now, this is not a promise to make heads or tails out of every circumstance, because the truth is, 
There are things that happen that we just have to accept. We'll never understand the logic or the reason. But I think more than not, as we go back and look at our circumstances, as we look at the way things pan out, we see the hand of God in it, and it was for his purposes. Would you agree with that, yes or no? That's where Romans 8.28 comes in. God works in all things, even in our most devastating moments, in our marriage, in our family, with our children, in our job, with our finances, in our church, whatever. You fill in the blank. You know your life better than I do. God works in all things to bring about good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose, namely those of us who are in Christ. That's a promise from God. And Paul says here, I want you to be encouraged, so encourage one another. I want you to be united in love, so love one another, because someone's always watching, always learning. And then when we do this, look, we know Christ deeper. I'm going to show you one more place in Scripture, and then we're going to wrap up. Go with me to Romans, just real quick, just a couple of books over, Romans chapter 12. When I say Romans 12, verse 1, immediately a lot of you go, oh, I know that one. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and spiritual act of worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Familiar passage to most of us, amen? But have you ever stopped to consider where Romans 12 is? Conveniently, right after Romans 11. But something happens at the end of Romans 11 that I don't want you to miss. Look at Romans 11, chapter, or excuse me, Romans chapter 11, verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. This is a doxology. This is a praise. How unsearchable his judgments, his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Question mark. Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Don't miss this. When Paul wrote this letter, there were no chapter and verses. We came along later and did that to make Scripture easier to find and point out. This was a letter, just like you write a letter. It had a body with many different points. Everybody tracking with me so far? Say amen. Paul gives us doxology, and notice what the doxology he's quoting is saying or asking. I'm going to sum it up for us. Who can figure God out? That's what he's saying. God, you are too big. You are too awesome. You are too sovereign. Your ways are way beyond mine. I, who can figure you out? Who can know the mind of the Lord? Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has ever been his counselor? There's this sense of awe of God's bigness and his awesomeness and truly I cannot fathom you now bring it back to us have there ever been those moments in your life when it wasn't you doubting God's word God's character God's love it wasn't about you doubting God you just literally couldn't understand why God was allowing things to happen and the answer is yes and then immediately on the hills of asking these incredible questions where we would be hard-pressed to find an answer, look what he says. Therefore. First word in chapter 12. Therefore. What is that therefore? What the doxology. In other words, he's just posed these amazing questions, and he's getting ready to answer it. 
You want to figure out the mind of God? You want to figure out his will? You want to figure out his plan and his purpose for your life, even in the circumstances that you would say, I never, ever saw myself here. I never want to be here again. You want to know the answer as to how you can start making sense of what God is doing? Here it is. I'm glad you asked. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Understanding God's mercy. Don't conform to the patterns of this world. Don't handle life the way the world handles life. You know how the world handles life? Oh, we could spend the next three hours. Don't get nervous, we're not. But we could spend the next three hours talking about how the world handles life, right? Addictions, suicide. We could just go on and on and on and on and on. Things that have touched all of our lives. That's the patterns of the world. And, and God, through his servant Paul, says, don't conform to the patterns of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What are we renewing? God does love me. So we renew our mind in God's love. We renew our mind in God's word. We renew our mind in God's character. We renew our mind in God's promises. We renew our mind in God's provision and his protection. We start renewing our mind and telling that enemy who comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy to go back to hell where he belongs because we serve a God who loves me and is never going to lie to me and who has promised me that he will work in all things for my good if I will just love and serve him. I don't know where you are in life today. I don't know where you are as a church today. I know some, but I don't know the full story. And no one knows the full story in your life because it's your life. It's your story. But friend, I guarantee you God knows everything and more that's going on in your life and in your world right now. And it's his desire for you to be encouraged. It's his desire for you to love one another and be united in that love. And it is his desire for you to grow in your knowledge of Jesus Christ. And the way we do that is to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. To not conform to the patterns of this world, but to be transformed and renew our mind in his love for us each and every day. I'm going to close with this. Colossians 2, we've been in verse 2. Skip down to verse 6. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thanksgiving. I'm going to read this one more time. This is my, my desire for you, Central Baptist Church. So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue. Don't give up, right? Don't give up. Don't grow weary. Continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him. That means when that enemy who comes only to steal, kill, and destroy and make you waver in your faith, it won't work. You can stand against that trick of the devil. Why? Because you are rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. When you have a thankful heart, God can do amazing things in your life. So be encouraged, be united in love, and continue to grow in your wisdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. May God add his blessing to his holy word. Amen? Church, I love you, and I'm 
so honored to be here with you today and just have a small part in the service to bring God's word to you. I'm honored and humbled. And I look forward to being with you several more Sundays this month. I want to end today, Pastor Jeff, you and I didn't even really talk about this. We were so busy catching up and hugging each other. Didn't really talk about ending the service. I want to pray for us. And then I'm going to turn the, the service over to Pastor Jeff. But I have to believe that, that God is stirring in your hearts this morning. And I don't ever want to take for granted that everyone in the room knows Christ personally. So I want to say to you, if you're here today or if you're watching online, and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, listen, life's tough. And the solution is to know Christ. God loves you and has a plan for you, and that plan begins with Jesus Christ, who loved you enough to die for you and take your punishment and give you an abundant life in return. And if you want to know more about that, I know you don't know me, but I'd certainly, I'd certainly love to share it with you. But if you'd feel more comfortable talking with Brother Jeff or someone that you know in the church that you can love and trust, but if you're here today without Christ, don't leave here today without him. Today could be your day to experience the kind of hope and joy that so many of us in this room do have. And then I want to say to you, church family, believers in Christ, continue in the days ahead to love one another as the world watches and trust that God has a plan for Central Baptist Church and is going to lead you, continue to lead you, just as he's done in the past. He is faithful in the past. He will continue to be faithful in the future. Would you continue to be faithful to him? Amen. Father God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the opportunity to come together to worship you, to celebrate new life, to celebrate the joy of just being together as brothers and sisters in Christ, to celebrate our risen Savior, to celebrate love and hope that we have in Christ, and Father, to gather around your word and hear these incredible words of how we are to encourage one another, to be united in love, and to grow in our faith and knowledge of our Lord Jesus. Thank you for the power and encouragement of your word. And God, I ask that you would bless these next moments. And Father, that all of us would be obedient to you in our response. And whatever that looks like, Father, may your holy will be done. I pray for Central Baptist Church. I pray for this beautiful body of Christ in the days, weeks, months, years ahead. That you would continue to grow them in their love for one another and for you and in their influence in this part of Melbourne, Florida. And we'll give you the praise and honor and glory in advance. And I pray this in Christ's holy name. Pastor Jeff, I'm going to turn over to you. Let's stand together. I think I saw my hand. If you would like to take that hand, come up, I'll be here.